Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of UCR's Counseling and Psychological Services. I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, Dr. Parks. Second year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. Hello, Dr. Parks. And second year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Joshua Poole. Hi, Joshua. How are you doing, Dr. Parks? We are also pleased and honored to have a guest host tonight, uh, Dr. Rennie Burke. Oh, Rennie Burke is a fourth year medical student. Pre-doctor. Pre-doctor. Which is, fun, which is fine with us. Um, I'm glad that you had time for us and you're joining us tonight. You're Thanks for having our, me. You're our first medical student on the show. Is that right? Yes. yes. Oh, wow. Groundbreaking. Okay. Congratulations. Now, you completed right. your bachelor's degree in history and philosophy at UCSB, and you have a master's in history at Ohio University and a master's in bioethics at Harvard. That's right. Well, I hope you find the topic that we're going to talk about uh, very interesting and stimulating. We're going to talk about media portrayals in movies and television um, that uh, of psychiatry, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, therapy, uh, are any myths that we need to address or dispel, um, but also our own personal uh, uh, influence. Um, when we were growing up, maybe we um, saw psychiatrists or, or psychologists um, in movies and television. We also have another special guest um, Tosha, do you want to introduce your special guest to the show? My special guest is sitting on my lap. <laughs> His name is Genji, and he's three and a half months old. He's my schnoodle puppy. Okay, so it's your puppy. We heard a lot about it. It's very cute. Yes, he's chewing on a bully stick. Very Odorless funny. bully sticks for listeners out there who have dogs who like to chew on things. I don't but know what don't. that is. What's so that? a bully stick is actually, I think, like bull testicles, dehydrated, um, formed into a chew structure like a stick and dogs love it but mm. owners don't love them because they smell really badly but they now make odorless ones which i don't know how they do that but genji loves them and i love them well i, I find the concept <laughs> distracting. yeah, yeah. i'm mortified really unsettling yes <laughs> but you know what that's how what dogs like so yeah but what genji might do? be causing some disturbances yeah, and why the bull rather than yeah, any other any animal? Other. Salamander, meat. <laughs> I mean, they have a bunch of Gila different monster. chews. They have duck's feet, um, pig ears, right? Like, how did they find out any of those things? It sounds like they just picked up whatever was on the slaughterhouse floor. And we're mm -hmm. like, what can yeah. we do with this? How yeah. can we monetize Dogs love this? Them. Slaughterhouse floor. Wasn't that a Vonnegut? Slaughterhouse Five. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I also want to say, Rennie, didn't you, weren't you involved in like reviewing movies in medical school or something? Yeah, I used to write movie reviews of medically themed movies for the student newspaper to the extent that it existed. It had a, right. a nice brief period there where for about a year it was being issued monthly. That's it was, great. Yeah. It was wow. Cool. That's, That's great. great. Yeah. It was the scope, right? That was the scope. Yeah. The yeah. scope. Now, before we get to that, um, I, I have a few kind of latest studies and research um, items that I want to discuss. Um, so have, has, any, has anybody um, ever treated a patient that had lost their sense of smell? No. no. No, I don't think so. But I can Not tell you. Yes. I can tell you that mine is severely probably diminished. Um, how do you, Yours personally? Like yes. when did that happen for you? I, I think just through progression of my life, I always have severe allergies, probably untreated for most of my life, congested, you know, not being able to smell. And it's it's interesting. I'm not... I don't, 
I'm not sure what percentage might be decreased, so I'll call it dysnosmia, but it does feel different when actually I'm not congested once in a while and you can actually smell things around you. So how does that affect your life? Um, different ways. I mean, you know, I- anything you can call it from, and I don't think this affects me personally, but just in general, anything from, you know, for personal hygiene, you should be aware of your body smells, others, but even just from being around other circumstances, you know, like it, if you go somewhere and there's a gas leak and you can't smell it, you know, even just from the minor things can, can make a difference. Yeah, no, it could mm-hmm. be potentially dangerous to have anosmia, like a, you're, you're saying you have dysmos, dysmosmia. Yeah, like okay. reduce the smell, okay. the, the sense of smell. Well, this comes from the University of East Anglia. Um, and then what they found is that there's a much higher rate of depression um, and anxiety um, because of this. It really detracts from your your sense of appreciation of, of life, and it can also influence and affect your memories because now you, you've lost that sense of smell. It affects your eating. Some people lose their appetite, lose a lot of weight. Um, and, and some folks, though, that they actually gain weight because they eat a lot of low nutritional value foods that are high fat and high sugar. Um, there's, a cur- there's a couple, like, <coughs> syndromes that part of... The constellation of symptoms is anosmia. It's like yeah. filters, right? Kalman syndrome. Kalman I think. syndrome. Yeah. Kalman syndrome. What's that? Um, I think it's a. Let's see. It's a congenital disorder where, op, or cranial nerve one is compromised, and it does it occur more in women? Am I remember? I'm just going to stop myself right here. Yeah. <laughs> Step recall. one is relatively distant. There's lots of yeah. right. I know all Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Yeah, right. I don't remember. Yeah, early onset Alzheimer's. Yeah, I can do it. Yeah. But I do agree that for me, at least, anxiety is a big, big thing. Yeah, why? And controlling weight. I'm not sure if it has to do with, with what we're talking about. Here's a study of anosmia uh, and higher propensity for depression or anxiety. But I, I like I, I think I told you, you know, in different. Um, show episodes that yes anxiety it's just probably one of uh, the things I've gone through and it's been treated before and I just you know what I do now headspace, headspace. oh for your anxiety yeah. <laughs> they better be sending some money our way unanimously <laughs> favored it's more than one show <laughs> yeah you can trust our reviews folks because uh, we do not get any uh, uh, financial <laughs> remuneration for what we do here I'm about to go into you know I have a progression of things I've been doing the management of anxiety and you go every 10 uh, you do tense. Oh, there's a structured program on that right. app? Right. And then oh, I'm wow. in the master level now. Oh, wow. Oh, About to start that one. About to start that one. I didn't realize I was in the presence of a master. <laughs> that's <laughs> Thank that's you, really good. But that, that's interesting because that actually that solves a puzzle for me. It seems kind of counterintuitive that when you lose your smell that you actually gain weight. To me, we were discussing this earlier in the lobby. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're feeling enhanced levels of anxiety, then that would make sense as a compensatory mechanism. Right. That you're eating more to get that you know, that dopamine mm-hmm. hit and feel less anxious. Mm-hmm. Also in psychiatry research, um, there was a, a study on aerobic exercise and cognitive functioning in schizophrenia and a one-year follow-up. And they found that there was improvement in cognition and it was maintained after a year. So there you go. How, how much do you feel like uh, you really advocate that exercise and make that important for folks with schizophrenia? It's lower on the priority. <laughs> <list>. <laughs> then right. just maintaining their medication part. Yeah. It's a challenging part. How do yeah, you it depends make on how stabilized they are, you know? Then like, you'll go for those higher functioning kind of things of yeah. self-initiated exercise and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, if they're mm-hmm. more stable, they're taking their meds every day, they're not going in and out of the hospital, then I'll focus on more of those outpatient, you know, preventative management things, more um, 
behavioral activation sort of therapy ideas. Now, I'm um, outraged, and I'm glad that the American Psychological Association is also outraged um, because U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement has been um, receiving the psychotherapy notes of immigrant youths that are mm. in custody. That's right, I heard um, the Federal Office of Refugee Resettlement has been um, sharing them and because they're trying to make an asylum determination so they're again they they I, this is my sense they feel that they're not bound to any uh, laws of the US they're kind of in this nether region so they can kind of just do whatever they want to do and so this is one of the things and it's outrageous I feel what do you what are your thoughts more yeah yeah. It's deeply upsetting. I mean, it's patient confidentiality. Okay. So let's turn to our, <laughs> our, <laughs> our topic I, of media portrayal. So, first of all, did you just, want to say something, Randy? Yeah, I, I, I just I find it appalling. Um, I know it, it raises a lot of ethical issues, but I think um, the primary one is whether or not, as a clinician or as some kind of provider who's providing therapy, you should be an accomplice to this or whether you should abstain from it. Because now it seems like the case that you shouldn't participate at all seems stronger, knowing that the notes are going to be going towards potentially proceed, like legal proceedings. But at the same time, there's people there who need care. And so, I don't know, I, Do you, would anyone feel comfortable providing a level of care knowing that there's not confidentiality? Yeah, it would really affect treatment. And would you provide treatment and then not chart on things? Yeah. That's because you want to have provide the treatment first and foremost. You'd have to get kind of creative with your charting. Yeah. Okay, so for, as far as the, uh, the our topic for the show tonight. So um, now, when you were, before you were doctors and you were thinking about psychiatry, were there any media portrayals that influenced you? Or do you feel like um, you had a sense of uh, how psychiatrists were being portrayed in society? Um, what was your sense of that? Does anyone? I know. Speaking for me, I had a entirely negative sense, and I think this was uh, the result of one singular movie. It's this, uh, a movie by a documentarian named Len Weisman called uh, "Titty Cut Follies." He actually was a lawyer, and he was involved in a suit against a asylum in, I think, Massachusetts or Rhode Island in the 1960s. And so he brought a video camera into the institution, and one of the themes of the movie is that you see people who died in the institution are often being treated better than they were like in their life like you see guards ridiculing patients you see um you see the dismissiveness with which um, certain clinicians treat patients in the institution um and i know for me i was always i've always been worried about paternalism in medicine and just in general whether it's the government whether it's someone with power taking away the decisions of someone else and so for a long time, I resisted the the siren call of psychiatry because of this. <laughs> I, well, I've been talking to you about this a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah, and I think this was this was compounded by another documentary I saw. I think it was called um, I want to say it was called All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace. There's a section in it. <laughs> oh, that one. I think so, or the or the <laughs> trap. It might have been the trap actually. Um, that was. They're both by a filmmaker named Adam Curtis. But there's a segment segment in it that discusses how. Um, there was an experiment in the 1960s in which a, a man sent Confederates to different um, mental institutions and had them say they heard the word thud but report no other symptoms. And a bunch of them were committed, sometimes for like weeks, against uh, against their will. And it took them a long time to get all the Confederates out. And so this left me also with a sense that like what 
psychiatry was doing wasn't quote unquote scientific. Like I had that sort of impression. Yeah, it was prone to just um, uh, whatever people were thinking at the time and whatever their personal biases were even. Yeah. But psychiatrists really had a lot of, have a lot of power. Yeah, they do. And it's, uh, um, and it's like, it's not a type of power that I think people recognize a lot. Like, I don't, I don't imagine that people think about psychiatry a, a lot. I, I'm willing to guess that most people don't even know the distinction between psychiatry and psychology a lot. I think that's a cost population. Yeah, of media portrayals. They, they, that distinction is not clear. Right. They're almost and interchangeable sometimes. Like, even, like, in the Terminator movies... You mean they're origin- used interchangeably? Yeah, they're used interchangeably. That people don't even need to see the difference. Like, right. in, in the Terminator movies, uh, the one of the consultants for this the artificial intelligence psychologist first, but then they just later changed him into a psychiatrist. Oh, wow. I feel like kind that happened really interchangeable in the same movie. Which we'll get to. Which we'll get that to. For what? what? Yeah. So, oh, right. The movies, I think, that most formed my idea of mental health were... Um, what about Bob mm-hmm. and uh, The Sixth Sense? So I kind of had this idea that if I became a psychiatrist, my patients would be hassling me during vacation <laughs> <laughs> or growing up and then trying to kill me. Did you? Ha- did anyone have a negative stigma about psychiatry? Yeah, yeah. I come from yes. an Asian family, yes. very yeah. negative. Oh, yeah. 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 I think different cultures, right? Like for me, I was still thinking about it the 90s when I was growing up in Mexicali. Um, I, I think we even felt uncomfortable for watching something that had to do with mental illness or portray psychiatry, psychology as you know part of the movie. And something like we probably wouldn't be attracted to do and just felt uncomfortable about you know yeah. the way it was maybe depicted in a movie. Almost like I don't know, like taken in a very negative way. And I it, of course that's part of the stigma and being part of a. I know the country that the culture is very different, family is important, religion is a big thing, so all those components kind of made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the earliest movies, at least for me, is Miracle on 34th Street. Does anyone has anyone watched that? The original, the best one. No. Oh, okay. Just the remake. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. I saw that. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So basically, uh, a person uh, it becomes Santa Claus at this. Uh, department store and then he's questioned his mental uh, fitness for the job is questioned now in the movie there's a psychologist that does an assessment of him and uh, basically says that he has all these violent tendencies he has his bias against uh, Chris Kringle and things like that Um, but in the movie there's a psychiatrist that is portrayed much much better He's the person that ha- used to treat him in an inpatient facility and uh, thinks that he, uh, it, you know, he's really kind of harmless and he advocates for him so much uh, in the movie, very much so in the movie. So th- for that, for, that was one of my earliest mm-hmm. um, kind of perceptions of what um, the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. And psychologist is very negative, basically. Right, okay. uh, now you're you, a psychologist. And right. now I'm a psychologist, <laughs> so I guess it didn't affect me. I did it anyway. Um, if you're just <laughs> joining us, we are, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched. And... We have our guest host, uh, Rennie Burke. Thank Hello. You, Rennie. I hope I've been scintillating so far. And we have Tosha's <laughs> special guest. Genji. Genji, the puppy, Still is, is here. Still very stick. interested. In, in his bully stick. Okay. And, and my bully stick. Um, and we're talking about media portrayals of psychologists and psychiatrists and, and influences that um, we've had. Now, have you ever found that um, because people have an idea of what psychiatry involves or mental health treatment involves, that that's um, because of what they've gotten from movies or television or from the media, that that actually influences your treatment and you have to kind of overcome 
some sort of uh, um, myths or biases about treatment. Today, right. I had a patient that tried to convince me depression wasn't real. <laughs> and I was like, it's like my whole job. <laughs> like, he tried to tell me it's not real. And he's like, no, it's just, you know, it's just, it's made up. It's like, I am a psychiatrist. Like, this is a big part of what we do here. But, you know, he also yeah, that's not that's not grounded in science. The, I'd say that's one of the biggest myths uh, in movies and television is that um, it's it's like what you were kind of saying, um, Rennie, is that psychiatrists have just kind of have these kinds of uh, theoretic, uh, theoretical notions that are based on Freud and they're not really based on research. And then that that um, this this they wield a lot of power just on their speculative kind of clinical speculation about things. And um, you, you better watch it, basically. That's a. That, I feel like that's a big part of uh, in in early at least early media portrayals having complicated explanations of why people do things that don't have any resonance with actual reality. Right. Right. Yeah. And there was a time. I mean, historically speaking, there was a time when psychoanalysis was much more dominant as like a training moda training modality mm -hmm. in psychiatry. But I think now moving towards the biological kind of models of different disease mechanisms and yeah. um, patterns of uh, chemicals in the mind. Or the brain, I should say, not the mind. Um, I think we've arrived at a lot more effective treatments for a lot more people. I mean, there's certain things that psychoanalysis, there's reasons it became as dominant as it became. It was like able to explain why through appeals to sort of the unconscious or like the influence of emotions on people's lives. It was able to explain why veterans had PTSD in World War One better than like neuroanatomical Kripalinian sort of approaches could around the turn of the century but then it seemed to persist for reasons that are unclear to me um, for another several decades and I think that really influenced uh, media portrayals and it's still very regional too so like coastally so on the east coast there's still a, a large focus on psychodynamic psychodynamic and psychoanalytics whereas like on the west coast outside of large cities people tend to be more biological in orientation but like when you see media portrayals at least the ones i've seen of like psychiatrists you know having people sit on a couch and whatever it's normally in like new england or new york or these type of places and it's these people performing like psychoanalysis that was the idea i had from from media about what a psychiatrist was yeah do you even know anyone that has people lay on a couch i don't know anybody I don't that has anybody lay on a couch anybody i still know people who practice recently. psychoanalysis okay but this, Ed, well i wonder do they have do they look away from them like classical, so I know that thing. You know, shows like In Treatment with Gabriel Byrne, which I think is a good show. I, yeah. I enjoy that show. I believe he has them lay on a couch, right? I, it's hard for me to remember because the editing is such where it'll cut between close-ups of their face a lot of the time, oh, okay. and so I'm not sure about the geography of the room. <laughs> <laughs> the episode I saw, they weren't oh, okay. laying on a couch. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I do know uh, clinicians that that have therapy also, so I feel like that's kind of accurate. Yeah, you know, for that show, mm -hmm. there was not to pivot too hard here, but there was something we were talking about in prepping for this show that I've kind of we talked about it yesterday, and I went home and thought about it more. Um, the portrayal of psychiatry, in particular, in media—that is to say, like movies and TV shows, anything based out of like LA—I think there is a particular type of bias against psychiatry because of the predominance of Scientology within that community mm. and their influence over production of films and whatnot because it's a, they have such a large presence in LA and they're very outspoken in their vehement disregard for psychiatry. Yeah, and any psychiatric medication. Any psych and basically. like the only people 
like psychiatry is the only branch of medicine that it has its own anti-group which it, a lot <laughs> right. of it has That's to do with point. has oh, to do gosh. with Scientology like every time there's right. an APA Scientologist will come and pick it out front oh my oh, lord okay. I didn't know that well, yeah, if you can give a pill that gets rid of your thetans, why do you have to pay so much money? Oh, so that's... Dianetics do it. So it's, yeah. kind of, it's kind of financial as well as... Oh, I mean, Scientology business. is a business. It's a business model. It's outlawed right? in Germany because it's it's identified as a malicious business. They wow. also tried to infiltrate the German government and uh, influence the taxation of their church in no Germany. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did they win? I think this is part of the reason they're banned. <laughs> yeah, is that, did that lead to their banning, right? right. Uh, enough of the chicanery. Get out of here. Would, would you say that that's why in Hollywood movies you rarely see psychiatry, you might see therapists or psychology? Right. I think it's either obfuscated or it's directly negative. I, uh, I'm well. That's my hunch. It could be con- like it's, a conspiracy that, That's going to be hard to uh, actually verify, actually. I mean, there's think? a lot of people who are like well out and identified as Scientologists that are you know among the producers mm. probably some directors I can't name any from the top of my head definitely some writers and then a lot of the actors are big in the community they're kind of a mysterious group I mean we, I, we, we, if we do a show on cults and things like Which that we will we, <laughs> we probably will Tosha has been pushing for <laughs> for a very long time it, that would probably be something we would have to discuss I mean their world headquarters is like maybe two miles from my house Three, right. maybe three miles. What mm-hmm. do you? Li- I see where do you live? In San Jacinto, California. Yeah, so I'm from Hemet. So you're talking about Gold Base. <laughs> yeah, Gold Base. I'm well familiar with driving right. through it. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, very yeah. mysterious folks there. Yeah, there's a castle. There's really? uh, yeah, there's a, a building with uh, ship's masts on it. I right. think that's oh. where Sea Org is headquartered. There's okay. a there's a giant hangar where they, I'm sure, do filming and things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I noticed mm. they recently completed their roadside landscaping, and it looks beautiful. Oh, it's an immaculate grounds. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. People working on it all Hemet. constantly. I Same hear stories. Yeah. It's in Gilman Springs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hear stories that you're not even allowed to park nearby no. the, the place. Otherwise. No, I used to, um, back in the day, when I was uh, going to UCR as an undergrad, I was in political science and um, I did an internship with the county supervisor, Casey Niceros, and she, when she wanted just to inspect the grounds as it was being constructed and she parked where she knew it was mm-hmm. county ground mm-hmm. immediately. These folks, you know, in black SUVs and wow. dressed in black wow. came and said, you have to move right now. And then she explained to them, I am the county supervisor of this area. I'm 100% sure this is county land. But they are very uh, right. careful to very litigious. have people litigious. move whenever they want them it, to move. And the only other thing that now that I remember it brings up um, a level of information I got is that they going to that point of maybe psychiatry, mental health, and psychology, I feel that actually they've been trying to put an effort into maybe whether you call it infiltrate or somehow uh, do something with mental illness because they've been outreaching some of the uh, school districts in Hemet. Really? Yes. So oh, like the, the fairs and stuff like that. Oh, gosh. Yes. You know, I, I, can't, I can't just let this go. So, okay, so um, they have a big tract kind of industry where they prom- they provide free mental health right. information and right. substance abuse exactly. information and oh. the county uh, Riverside County got tricked by them oh. and accepted mm-hmm. huge amounts of these tracks and they were giving them away right. and I said whoa because the reason why just coincidentally like a few months before I had gone to a, a charity 5k run at a high school and they were giving them out then and I read through them 
and I noticed that they were again talking about how you shouldn't take medication and it's mm-hmm. wrong. You, so this probably gonna be, it's going to be harmful for you and things it, like yeah. that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they're trying to use it in their favor, right? And they they have money and they have maybe networking so they can, you know, yeah. pose as mental health whatever you want to call it providers or people. The brochures looked legit. It looked totally wow. legit, and it was just buried in the back. Ooh. But it was at the end. It said, "It said, and remember, you don't want to take medication like antidepressant medications. They're harmful for you, and things like that. It wow. was terrible." Mm-hmm. But they, so but sad. then I, when I told Riverside County folks, then they they immediately got rid of them, mm. threw them away. Good. But okay, so um, you know, in thinking about um, myths, I, I think one of the biggest myths is that psychiatrists do long-term therapy like therapy therapy i know that you i know that you sometimes talk to i would like to are we about to people throw hands right that is not that is not are we about to go fisticuffs but generalizing yeah okay what percentage of psychiatrists in your estimate like your estimate your or, or even i'll say people that you know do therapy therapy like actual like you're you're talking to them you're you're um having these in, in, interventions or you do a therapeutic approach and you you're charting on it. it's not not have to do with assessing them assessing for risk asking them the routine questions and things like that do you I think therapy therapy i think it's fractionated like it's in the county setting probably not a ton because it's relying on insurance but in the private practice setting they do a lot more therapy because they bill at their own rates. So like right now, I mean, with the lack of mental health parity, you can't bill for therapy at the same rate as, you know, you would you would want to for the amount of time that it takes. So in order to like stay above ground and stay afloat, a lot of psychiatrists just have to do these 15 minute med checks because it's the only thing they can get reimbursed for. Okay, so if you didn't like what I said earlier, you're really gonna not like this. So what kind of training do psychiatrists have for therapy? What kind of formalized training? We have, so like... And how many hours, supervised therapy hours do they have? Tosha could probably speak to this one a little bit better than I can. It depends on the program. Because it starts in PGY3 year. Yeah, for it, most just, programs. it just depends on the program. Some programs they start second year, sometimes it's third year. And then it also depends on the number of patients you have. So there's nothing like... I, I don't know of a standard. Well, I've, t- I've talked to some psychiatrists and they were saying, oh, they have a six-month round on therapy mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of supervised hours. I mean, I, that, mm-hmm. I think so for our tiny. program, yes, it might not be compared to what you went through. Oh, I, I can tiny. ask you how many Definitely hours you did. Right. Yeah. But it seems like maybe for Do us, most people like know once that, a week. Do most people know that psychiatrists no. have a tiny fraction no. of the therapy experience that a psychologist no. and training to psychologist I don't, Once again, I don't think people know the distinction. Right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I feel, I feel that's true. I mean, I mean, in movies of, like Analyze This, they they originally wrote it with a psychologist, and then they changed it right before they started filming. They made it a psychiatrist. They thought it was funnier. They thought people wouldn't be able to relate to psychologists, and so they psychiatrists are usually the ones portrayed in movies and film. I have a lot of new assessments where patients come in for their initial assessment, and at, at the end of the entire you know hour I spend with them, they're like, "Oh, I don't want medications. <laughs> like, what did we just do here?" Yeah, it's not. It's basically you can't provide just therapy. You'll just refer them out to somebody. Yeah, yeah. But again, that depends because other times you could spend, you can realize with your patient they would benefit more from just spending that 30 minutes talking more, mostly about therapy and then maybe a five minute med check. It just depends. There's opportunities though. Like for me, if I don't fast track, I'm probably going to do a CVT training in my fourth year with one of the institutes around. 
Okay, so it kind of depends on what you want for your career. And right. That kind of and that's going to do it, do it for us uh, tonight on Let's Get Psyched. Today we discuss media portrayals uh, of psychologists and psychiatrists, movies and television. Thank you to our co-hosts, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi, Dr. Edgar Ortega, Dr. Joshua Poole, and fourth-year medical student Rennie Burke. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elliot Fong. This episode was recorded in the studios of KUCR on the campus of the University of California, Riverside. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. <laughs>